Pastor Ed Taylor on Our Greatest Need and God's Greatest Deed. The greatest need of anyone is that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's greatest need, the forgiveness of sins, was accomplished through God's greatest deed, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his soon resurrection. This is amazing grace. Well, Christmas is now just a few short days away, a time that we collectively remember Jesus coming to this earth. But we'll learn today why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came to die for the sins of the world. And it's important to keep that at the forefront of our minds as we celebrate Christmas so we can truly appreciate all that God did for us. We'll help you with that today on Abounding Grace as we finish up John chapter 19 with Pastor Ed Taylor. Here he is now with part two of his message, Jesus Dies for the Sins of the World. The scene around the cross is not a clean scene. It's not an antiseptic scene. It's not even anything that we could possibly grasp and paint or make a piece of jewelry or have some kind of decoration. The cross is a bloody scene. It is a horrific, torturous scene filled with pain and sorrow and desperation. Supernaturally, things are happening all over. There was even darkness while Jesus hung on the cross, deep darkness. And they didn't break his legs because according to verse 33, he was already dead, which confirms verse 30 that he gave up his spirit. John's trying to show us and remind us that Jesus died a real physical human death as a sacrifice in exchange for you and me. To prove it, it's mentioned that blood and water came out, which some suggest that the piercing went right into the heart and Jesus dies of a broken heart, or he is dying because of a broken heart as the pierce comes into his side. And then Paul, I mean, John says in verse 35, he says, And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. I think many of us have been in this place before because John's writing it down. He's given you the testimony. He says, you got to believe it because I'm writing it down for you. you got to believe me because I was there. And I'm sure there are times in your life when you're sharing with folks and you're trying to describe to them what God has done in your life. You're trying to describe to them who you used to be and who you are now. You're trying to describe to them what kind of, how God used a certain Bible study or a certain song in your life. And there's great resistance. People don't believe you. They don't want to believe you. And then you come back with something. No, no, I'm telling this right now. I'm telling you because it's true. I was there. I experienced it. God changed my life. One of the greatest tools in your toolbox in serving and loving others is your testimony. The testimony of an eyewitness, seeing your mom saved or your dad saved, seeing God rescue your child or bring a prodigal home. 
your own personal testimony of who you were there. You know, when I'm sharing my various parts of my testimony, I get deeper into some things. People often will say, I don't believe that. I don't see that in you. And I'm like, bro, believe me, I was there. This is my life. And if I was so bad that I don't remember, Marie is always there to remind me. She was there. There are always those that say, yeah, I remember. The radical change in your life is nothing short of a miracle. You're right. Salvation is a miracle in our lives. Which is why it doesn't make any sense for you to go back and live the way you used to before you got saved. It doesn't make any sense for you to go back and have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and you're so unpredictable and you're so untrust. We never know. It's not from the Lord for you to go backwards into that life of sin. You've been delivered. And so what does John say? Hey, I'm testifying to you and my testimony is true because he who knows it's telling the truth. (laughs) You know, because people always say, oh, that's just a bunch, the Bible's a bunch of fairy tales, you know, a bunch of fables. Listen, fairy tales don't save people, but God does. His word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And I've never, never met a person saved by a fairy tale, but I've met thousands of people saved by God through his son, Jesus Christ. These are no myths and no fairy tales, but the truth of God's word. And notice, sometimes as you are giving your testimony, you feel like you have to defend yourself You feel like, well, no, it's true. I was there. I'm telling you the truth. Just remember to do it for the right motives. Notice the motive in verse 35, so that you may believe. You may become so defensive and go, you might take offense that somebody calls you a liar or doesn't believe you or makes fun of you. And your defense might all be self-protective. Make yourself of no reputation. There's no need to protect yourself. The reason you're sharing is so that you might believe. If you end up making it all about yourself, you're going to lose a lot of ground in someone's life. Because it's not about you and not about me. We're to what? Absorb or take that in. We're to make ourselves of no reputation and allow the mockery and allow the things that are coming our way. Why? No, I'm telling you so that you might believe. And I'm not going to stop telling you that you might believe. Because that's the key and the greatest need of anyone is that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's greatest need, the forgiveness of sins, was accomplished through God's greatest deed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his soon resurrection. Notice it says in verse 36 and 37 that more scriptures being fulfilled. Everything about the life of Jesus, so many times, hundreds of scriptures, as hundreds of prophecies being fulfilled. Now, verse 38 as we close. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, marked these words, but secretly... Why was he a secret disciple? For fear of the Jews. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, another secret disciple, I believe, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh, aloes, and about a, of about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen, with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So there laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. We're introduced to these two men that at least one of them, Joseph of Marathia, is introduced as a secret disciple. A secret disciple of Jesus Christ, which is really an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't come together. 
It doesn't fit to be a disciple of Jesus and also keeping it secret from others. But there is possible because of fear. And he had a really good fear here. He had a really good fear because for a follower of Jesus Christ in this culture, in this day, he would lose everything, literally. He would lose his job. He would lose his identity. He would lose his family. He, he would lose his ability to be a part of the community. He would lose everything. And he would have nowhere to go. And so Joseph kept it close until finally he couldn't any longer. Finally he couldn't. And Nicodemus, we were introduced to him many chapters before. It's because of Nicodemus, if you weren't with us in those studies, it's because of Nicodemus that we're given, because his questions of Jesus, that we today have the most famous Bible verse in all of history. The verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That was an answer that Jesus gave to a man by the name of Nicodemus when he came with questions about salvation. You can thank Nicodemus for that. And you probably know what chapter the story of Nicodemus in. What chapter is that true story found in the Bible? Just say it out loud. John chapter 3. Now, I was looking back recently. We started studying the gospel of John about three years ago. So many of you weren't with us there, but we're on study number 99 today. So if you want to go back and listen to the previous 98 studies, they're all up on the web. And you can go back because it's a fascinating insight on this man, Nicodemus. No longer is he keeping it a secret. The death of Jesus Christ has captivated them once and for all. Joseph comes and says, I want to bury him and give him a burial. And Nicodemus says, I want to make sure his body is taken care of. Secret disciples, no more. Secret disciples, no more. But it, thinking of secret disciples... It reminded me that there are actually two kinds of disciples when it comes to secrets. Secret disciples and disciples that keep secrets. And neither one of them are from the Lord. Maybe that's you today. You're the secret disciple where you're embarrassed and ashamed of Jesus Christ. And God is going to bring you to that place finally where you no longer keep it a secret. A lot of it has to do with our culture, the way we were raised. The way we were raised, especially my dad, my dad was like this. Politics and religion are private matters. Now, politics these days aren't so private anymore, but religion seems still to be. Where it's just my religion is between me and God and it's not supposed to be public. But that too is not found in the scriptures. Your relationship to God was intended to be public intended to be known and shared and shouted abroad. When, when Jesus summarized the law, when he summarized the scriptures, he said this, you're to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not only, to, the love of God is not just to be experienced, but to also be expressed. But there's also another disciple, and that is, maybe you're here today, and you're a disciple that keeps secrets. Secrets. The kind of secrets that you would put in a shoebox and tape and put at the back of your closet, hidden away. The kind of disciple that stops at different places on the way home and is a little bit late but doesn't want to share where you've been stopping. The kind of disciple that does things on the side, doesn't tell the boss, knowing that he or she is breaking the law. 
The kind of disciple that is so tech-savvy that you know how to work around all the different browsers, and you know how to clear the history, and you know how to VPN behind something, and you know how to secure and put in a folder that nobody can go, where nobody can get into, and it is secured with passwords and clicks, and, and nobody knows because you've got it all hidden away. You're a disciple that keeps secrets and living in the shadows, and that's not from the Lord. I mean, if you're that kind of person, because I recognize that in our fellowship, there are a lot of smart people. You guys are incredibly intelligent and love God. And and you're able to hide things on the computer and you're able to use your phone this way and you're able to get around and and people around you don't know as much as you do and you're able able to hide something in that corner of the the loft or the corner of the half basement that you have. You're able to get around these things. You're able to time it just right so nobody really asks questions and you're able to lie your way out or or minimize. You're you're able to to get through because you're a smooth talker and and, and if if you're here today and you'd say, you know, Ed, I'm, I'm, I'm hiding things and just everything's just fine because I'm getting away with it. Like, none of us know. As I'm talking right now, your heart starts to skip a little beat, wondering if I know. I don't know. I don't know. But if you think you're hiding anything, you're lying to yourself. You're not hiding anything. Okay, so we don't know because we check your browser, we don't see anything. Oh, we don't know because that folder's encrypted and you can just delete it. And you know how to change a hard drive. And you know, you know maybe that's true. And maybe there is something and I'm not going to go through your closets or look through your cabinets. You're right, I won't know. And, and all the people that have access aren't going to know either. And, and you're like, well, then I'm confident. I'm getting away with it. You're not. You're lying to yourself. Because the Bible couldn't be clearer. Not only are there not to be secret disciples, but there are also not to be disciples that keep secrets because the Bible says that everything in our lives is naked and open to God. There isn't anything hidden from God's eyes. And you're only prolonging the pain and the difficulty with your spouse or with your kids or with your friends or with yourself thinking that you can continue to hide secrets and get away with it. You know, as a secret disciple, you kind of got this guilt and condemnation because you have the opportunity to share, but you don't share. And then you beat yourself up and go, man, why am I so afraid to share? Why am I? And and you just kind of walk around with this heavy burden. But if you're a disciple that keeps secrets, the burden's even worse because every single day you wake up to a new lie and a new deception and you got to cover up one to cover up another. And then you get that, that, that sense of the Holy Spirit. Okay, just come clean today. And you go, no, I'm not coming clean today. And your heart gets harder and layer after layer after layer to what the Bible describes that you will sear your own conscience with a hot iron. Neither one is from the Lord. God's desire is not for us to be secret in our relationship with him, and God's desire is for not for us to keep secrets from one another. But rather, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. But if we live in the shadows, you know, the Bible describes God as light, and with God there is no shadow of turning. No shadows with God. No little nooks and crevices where you can hide things. God is light, and he sheds light on everything and everyone. We don't want to live in the shadows. 
We're believers in Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been freed. Now that freedom gives us the ability to have a real relationship with one another based on the facts, based on the truth, based on our own imperfections, the love of God being the lubricant that keeps our relationship going. Forgiveness flows when we confess. You'll never experience forgiveness. You'll never experience the full weight of being forgiven until you confess and repent. And that's just the word of the Lord for some today. It's easier to look at the secret disciple. Oh, no, that's not me. But what, if, what about the disciple that keeps secrets? This is such an important principle for us here at Calvary that with the children, both in Sunday school and also the Christian academy we have here, with the children, we do not encourage a culture of secrecy with kids. We don't encourage the kids to keep secrets. If they begin to use that word and, you know, teacher, teacher, can I, keep, give you a, can I tell you a secret? Or, can, you know, can you keep a secret? Or, pastor, you know, I've got this secret. We're going to take that very gently and we're going to turn around and say, you know, we don't keep secrets here. I'd love to hear a surprise. I would love to hear what's going on. But, but we teach the kids, don't, we, as young as we can, that's our way of helping the kids understand that principle. You've got to walk in the light. Be truthful and honest with everything. Let's not hide anything from each other, but let's walk in the light. And we, as children of God, would do well to follow the same thing. There's no secrets. And finally, for Joseph and Nicodemus, they're done. No more secrets. We're casting our whole life in with Jesus. Joseph, he provides the tomb. Nicodemus provides the preparation. Let me quote to you how it's describe what was happening here at the end of chapter 19. The custom, I quote, was to use about half the body weight of spices. So we can guess that the Lord Jesus weighed about 200 pounds. They would prepare the body by rubbing it with myrrh and aloes, then wrapping it with linen strips. That would seal it, keep out the air. They would begin with a finger, and then they'd wrap all the fingers that way. Then they would wrap the hand, then they would wrap the arm, and then the whole body. In other words, they wrapped the body of the Lord Jesus very similar to that of a mummy. John mentions specifically that they wrapped the body in linen cloths using the spices because that was a very important detail for him. And they buried him in this tomb, it says in verse 41, that was in a garden. If you go to Israel with us, our last stop on the tour will be no, is a place known as the Garden Tomb. It's right up against a, a large hilly area that if you look at it, it's not so much now because of the erosion, but they have some pictures of that, of that hill where if you look at it at right the angle, it looks like a skull, Golgotha. And then down below that, in this little valley of an area, is a little tomb, and they walk in, they, they give us a presentation, and they show us how this place outside of the original city walls, up against Golgotha, uh, it's a, been a, a very busy commerce area. Right now, there's an Arab bus station down there that's very loud and noisy. Then they put a Muslim cemetery up there attempting to desecrate the whole area. But this garden is like a, a small little place of quietness. And that's the last place we, we take communion there. We do a little Bible study there. We walk into that empty tomb. It's empty. We don't know for sure if that's the tomb. We don't know for sure, although there's a lot of evidence pointing to this area. A lot of evidence but I do know this, if we ever found the actual tomb and that we knew for sure it was just carved in the Jesus was here, you know, if it was just, if that was the tomb, I'll tell you this, it's empty because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He's alive today. In the next couple of weeks, in our next couple of studies, 
It's going to feel like Easter here because we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus. In reality, every day is resurrection day in our lives. We walk in the newness of life. And let's not forget here as we leave the cross and Jesus in the tomb that the crucifixion of Jesus was an extremely significant event. What was lost in the Garden of Eden by Adam and his sin was regained on the cross by Jesus Christ who's referred to as the new Adam. It's here on the cross that our salvation is purchased. Here on the cross that the righteous demands of God were met as the full weight and wrath of God. His judgment upon all of humanity's sin was poured out on innocent Jesus, God in human flesh. And it wasn't a shock to him. He knew. It wasn't a surprise. He willingly, Jesus wasn't manipulated or tricked. He willingly went to the cross for you and me. And from the very moment of his birth in Bethlehem to the day that he died, Jesus lived in the shadow of the cross. And I would say this, if you're going to choose to live in the shadows, then live in the shadow of the cross. Let that loom in your life continually. Not the shadows of hiding things and dishonesty, the shadows of game playing and trying to get away with things. That's not from the Lord. But in the shadow of the cross knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Yes, yes, let's walk in the shadow of the cross. Amen. Well, we've been in the Gospel of John today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he's the pastor at Calvary Church, Aurora, Colorado. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. Help us finish the year strong. To make a donation to the ministry, you can do that online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Ed, we've got a lot going on this weekend at Calvary Church. Can you tell our listeners what we have planned for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Oh, we want you guys to come to Calvary. If you're here in the Denver metro area, you can be here in person. If you're anywhere else, you can catch us online. But we are open. What an exciting weekend. It isn't very often that Christmas Eve and Christmas hit on the weekend. And so for us... We already have weekend services, uh, so we already meet Saturday and Sunday, but this weekend's special because we're going to add services to make room for you. On Saturday, we're here at 2, 4, and 6 p.m., all three of those services, and then Sunday morning, we are open. We will be worshiping on Christmas Day, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ at our regular service times, 8.45 and 10.45 
Those are all mountain times. So if you're going to tune in from afar, those are mountain standard times. Uh, but Saturday 2, 4, and 6, all streamed live. Go to calvaryco.church. And then Sunday morning, 845 and 1045. We're excited. Uh, we are rejoicing. That's the theme. Rejoice, rejoice. And we're looking forward to it. We'd love to have you be here in person. Bring family, bring, bring friends. And, and let me just say this. Don't make fun of people that only go to church on Christmas and Easter. Please don't make fun of them. I mean, don't make fun of people, period. But don't make fun of people. If you come to Calvary, you have someone watch online, I am not going to make fun of them. I am happy they're in church. I'm happy that they came as a response to an invitation or that they're seeking the Lord on a high holiday. We're not going to make fun of them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to love them. We're going to love on them. We're going to preach the gospel to them. We're going to celebrate together. Oh, what a glorious weekend. And no way. We got calls all for the last few months. Are you closing on Christmas? Are you closing on Christmas? No way. Why in the world would we do that? We are open, 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 especially on this glorious day. Five services for the weekend. Come to one of them. Come to all of them. But we'll be here. If you missed any of that, drop by calvaryco.church. And if you're outside the area, that's also the place to go to watch our live stream. Just click on Online Campus there at calvaryco.church. We heard today the details surrounding the death of Jesus, but he didn't stay in that condition. Jesus is alive. And we'll share this most glorious truth next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.